I would like to give thanks to the ancestors, known and unknown, those who have paved the way for us to survive this moment of time and to have a reference point to use as a blueprint to deal with these hellish times we are living in. I would also like to give honor and reverence to the woman of the universe for your superior work, for bringing forth the spiritual information through the triple stage of darkness of your womb and giving birth to God. We would like to give reverence to the universe and praises to the indigenous. My name is Raheem Shabazz and this is Necessary Blackness Podcast. Necessary Blackness Podcast is independently owned and we do not accept sponsorship dollars from corporations. We are supported by the people such as yourself who know that in war, the first casualty is the truth. We are at war with racism and white supremacy. We must continue to tell the truth. Support us by purchasing your Necessary Blackness t-shirt by sending an email to NecessaryBlacknessPodcast at gmail.com. Check out MCJ, MusicCultureJournalism.com. Hip-hop is a global movement reaching all aspects of music, culture, and journalism. MCJ is the premier destination for culture-driven video and editorial content around the country. Check out MusicCultureJournalism.com. Log on today. Wingy Apparel is the latest fly and revolutionary streetwear to hit the market. Wingy is the outfitters of freedom fighters everywhere. Wingy is a Swahili word that means abundance. No one has ever gone broke by giving. So if you have it in abundance, sharing is better than receiving. Follow us on Instagram at Wingy Apparel. That's at W-I-N-G-I-A-P-P-A-R-E-L. Necessary Blackness Podcast, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. with award-winning journalist and filmmaker Raheem Shabazz. This podcast is only for those who are unapologetic because the mind of the conscious man or woman recognize no monopoly on truth. Truth is relative and always to be sought. Peace and Black Power family, this is your host, Raheem Shabazz, and we are here for another episode of Necessary Blackness Podcast. And today, family, we have a special guest in the building, my man, Dennis Byron. Yes, yes, sir. How are you? Dennis has over 20 years of experience in journalism and media. He has written for several publications such as TMZ, The Daily, The Blast, Hip Hop Inquirer, The Shade Room, and a host of others. And today we're going to talk about the hottest topic in Black America, and this is the trial of Amber Geiger. Am I saying her name right? Absolutely. Uh, no, you, let me pronounce it right. Convicted felon murderer Amber Geiger. Convicted felon murderer Amber Geiger. And for those that hasn't been following this trial, I'm going to start off by giving you a fun fact. Amber is the first Dallas police officer to be convicted of murder since 1970. So this goes to show you how monumental this verdict of guilty is. And there was a time when I myself was on edge because... I found out that the judge had made a ruling 
that the jury can consider what they call the castle doctrine. And for those that don't know what the castle doctrine is, it's just another cold word for stand your ground. And I, I didn't think that was right because, as we know, uh, Botham Gene was killed in his own home. So he had a right to stand his ground. He was in his house. He was sitting on his couch. He was watching TV, and he was eating ice cream before the colonizer came in and murdered him. So I asked that uh, Dennis Byron come up here and talk to us because I respect this brother's uh, investigative skills. Me and him have been going back and forth, and we have been uh, following this. So Dennis... When you heard about this case, and it was a news flash that this officer who was still in her uniform went to this man's house who was unarmed and brutally murdered him, what was your first thought? I knew that there, were, there was more to the story just by the initial reporting. Uh, first and foremost, you, you, one would ask the question, how would the person that is a resident of that building be shot by a cop if it wasn't in relation to a, a, a crime that he may have a, a committed. And was it, a, you know, it was just too many questions. And I just knew that based on what the initial reporting was, that the story should be properly investigated, especially when you have all these killings of unarmed people of color. And in this instance, this man was killed in his own home. Like you said, watching a football game, eating ice cream, and... This one, this officer of five years, walked in his place and murdered him, and the jury saw fit to render the same conclusion. Come to the same conclusion. Now, when you became aware that the judge was making a ruling that the jury can consider the castle doctrine, what was your thought? Because me personally, immediately, I said the fix is in. Well, it was it wasn't just the castle doctrine that was was part of the jury charge. It was the manslaughter that was part of the jury charge. So she was charged with three, you know, she was char- the jury was charged with concerning the Castle Doctrine, manslaughter, as well as mm-hmm. murder. Now, most people would say the prosecutor should just charge her with manslaughter and uh, slaughter initially. Um, and that's what, you know, like you they would do for a police officer unless there was some kind of hidden agenda that, you know, that, was existed where it was premeditated, but when they when they gave the uh, the jury this charge, I said, "Are they trying to throw this case?" Because clearly, Mister Mister Jean was in his apartment in his castle, and she wasn't in her castle. So why would you even instruct the jury to consider something like this? So yeah, I, I was wondering how did that even factor in? You know, so the good thing for this case is mm-hmm. that. In a in the appeal, which she's probably going to appeal, she can't say that the, the judge was unfair because this is a progressive uh, African American judge who ruled in most cases that was even even balanced. So I, I think that you know, and I think at the t- at, at the recording at the, the taping right now, the jury is still considering what the uh, sentence will be. And speaking of the jury, a lot of y'all may not have been privy to hear the testimony that the jury have heard, but I'm going to play you a small clip and then we're going to return back and go into dialogue. And in this clip, you're going to hear Amber Geiger explicitly say 
that she did a two shot where it's a double tap. And when you do that and you hit someone in the mass, it's almost 90% sure that you're going to kill them. And that was her intention. So what we're going to do is we're going to go to that clip. We're going to come back. We're going to have more dialogue. And for those of you that are just joining us, this is Raheem Shabazz, a Necessary Blackness podcast. And I am sitting here with the investigative journalist, Dennis Byron. When you shot at Mr. Jean, you knew you were using deadly force against him. Yes. You know what a bullet can do, don't you? Yes, I do. And when you shot at him twice, you intended to kill him. Yes, sir. All right. So all this stuff about it being a, a sad mistake, at the moment in time when rubber meets the road, when you pulled that trigger, you intended to kill Mr. John. He was the threat. Yes, sir. Will you answer my question? When you aimed and pulled the trigger at Mr. John, shooting him in center mass exactly where you are trained, you intended to kill Mr. John. I did. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back, and y'all just listen to, in her own words, Amber Geiger and her testimony where she explicitly stated that her intention was to kill Botham Gene in his own home. What are your thoughts on that, Dennis? Well, this is one of the reasons why it's always a major consideration when you allow your the, your client to testify in their uh, own on their behalf. In this case, she essentially gave the jury all the evidence that was needed to, to convict her. There was intent in her statement. There was a premeditation in her statement. And the the uh, district attorney asked to repeat the question. Did you intend to kill Mr. Jean? She said yes. So it would make you want to ask the question, where was the threat? Where was the threat? Are we to believe that the threat was that she walked in a place that she thought was hers and decided that this person posed a threat? Did he move in a certain manner? Because she was at his door. How far was his sofa from the door? Was he advancing towards her? Where was the threat at? Does she normally find walking out and do someone normally walk in a place that has a a carpet that is that a red carpet in front of their door that is not identifiable? This is a five year police officer, five year on the Dallas police force. She had training. She's not a rookie. So there were many factors that the jury considered when she said, I intended to shoot him center mass. Yeah, but even if you walk in the house, right? And a man is sitting on the couch and he's watching TV and he's eating ice cream. The first thing you're gonna be like, yo, that's not my couch. That's not my TV. You gonna it's gonna register you, yo, oh shit, I'm in the wrong house. Absolutely, you made a good point there. So when she fired when she when she had a weapon out and she saw him, did she not recognize that there was a couch there? Did she recognize that that couch wasn't her couch? Because she recognized that her TV wasn't in the same position that TV was, while the apartments are the similar apartments, the furniture is not similar. And if she wasn't in pitch black uh, environment because she was in pitch black, pitch black environment, she wouldn't be able to shoot and center mass. So there were visual cues there that Absolutely. she, did, she Absolutely. ignored. And then, you know, another thing, like, don't get it wrong. Mistakes happen. You know, I, I even had situations where 
I might be coming out of the grocery store. It happened like two different times where it was a car parked right where uh, next to mine's in the same vicinity, the same color. And that I go, happens. And, and I go like this to it and lift up the, you know, the door. And I'm like, that happens all the time. I look, I'd be like, oh, this ain't my car. Right. That happens all the time. You know what I mean? But I, I'll take it a step further. I lived in the building, I got off on the wrong floor in the building, and I put and I put my key. I put my key in the door and what it, it the lock wouldn't fit. But the first thing I noticed when I looked down, this is not even my apartment because the mat was different. And I moved away because I don't want no one to think that I was trying to come in the apartment. So there were first of all, as a police officer, you have to assess the situation, the danger. The danger just didn't start with her uh walking up to the apartment because she saw a door jarred. She saw a red mat on the Absolutely. floor. Absolutely. So there was something going on there. Maybe he had. Like, this is a, this is just a theory, and I, I don't. I like to use theories because sometimes theories can lead to to other avenues in which you can look into. Did was the music? I mean, was the TV too loud? And maybe she was coming in and she saw the t. She heard the TV was too loud and decided to go upstairs and and just protest the the TV being loud. We don't know that. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot of different factors that are playing to this situation. But I want to go back. To earlier when I asked you, um, how did you feel after listening to a testimony? And you explained that as a defense lawyer, you have an obligation to assess your client and know whether to put her on the stand or not. You also went through um, her self-implicating herself because she clearly stated that what her intent was. So, it was a bad call to put on. I, I would say it was a bad call to put her on the uh, witness stand, and I think that when 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 defense attorneys make that call, this is a last ditch, ditch effort to try to salvage the case because it, they weren't winning the case; they were losing it from every round. Yeah, but you know, another thing is, you damn if you do, you damn if you don't. You know, they're gonna say, "Where's this lady's remorse?" You saying that you sorry that it was a mistake. And you don't want to get up here and address the situation. So I think, well, looking at hindsight, I know they messed up by putting her on the stand. But I think if she was a little more believable and she was more articulate and was able to talk and walk people through it, it might have not did her as much harm as it did. Now, before we get into anything else, you showed the intent, right? Can I say, I want to add something to that? Yeah, go ahead. The other thing that the jury went into the delivery room, the the, the, the deliberation room to consider was, what did she do 24, 48 hours after this? Absolutely. (laughs) What what, what was her behavior after after this? Where was the remorse? What, uh, you know, it was was things that came out about racial racial postings on, on her Pinterest account. I mean... There was many things that people had to consider, those jurors had to consider and and see if this woman really was remorseful. It was her mindset. And that's what I want to talk about. When you delve into the mindset, the juries was privy to see what this person was and what this person was like. Because anybody can get on the stand, cry, and be remorseful in front of people that don't know them and make you feel sympathy. But how do she act around people that know her? Because they know her true self. And that 
family was revealed in those texts. And um, I, I got a little excerpt of what those texts entailed. And during the Martin Luther King parade, which was a few days before the unfaithful incident with a brother. Before or after? No, before. Okay. Um, they And this happened in Dallas. Uh, someone had uh, sent her a message and asked her, another officer, when the parade was over. And her response is, when MLK is dead. Oh, wait. So in the closing arguments on the sentencing phase of the... Uh, oh, wait, never mind. Uh, yeah, no, she said, oh, wait. You know, like, oh, wait. He's, he's, he's already dead. dead. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like, it, it, it was a joke. So during the uh, sentencing phase, uh, the prosecutor brought that up, and they said, <laughs> this is when they really put the nail in the coffin for her. They said, Martin Luther King, a man that practiced peace and harmony and justice, this is what you think of him? You know, and there are those white supremacists and racists and, and people that want to, you know, change the narrative and say, oh, you know, we all say stupid things and this was dark humor. Nah, this wasn't a lone incident because there are other things that she said. She said, and I quote, people are so ungrateful. No one ever thanked me for having the patience not to kill them. Well, guess what? Both of them with a gene with a thank you for not killing him and for having patience if you were to assess the situation. What are you doing in my house? You know what I mean? You, you could have said, yo, what are you doing in my house? He would looked at you like, you're crazy. Ma'am, this ain't your house. This is my house. That's my TV. Like, it was so that, many ways that, that this, this could have played out. That, that's why I am, I am leaning towards there was the intent... And killing. So the intent is very important. You know, the intent to be convicted of murder, you have to have the element of intent, intent or premeditation. Absolutely. So let's look at the first thing. When she walked to the apartment, the door was ajar. Now you need the key fob to open the door. So she said the door was ajar. Uh, it was no. It was no um, evidence presented. Prove otherwise, and then but, you know what? Residents, not to cut you off, but residents said that those doors are like hotel doors. That's like the point once I wanna, it shuts, I, that's I wanna, it. That's the point I want to make. Um, so there was, a, you know, you have to even as a person who's not carrying a firearm, someone's walking up to their door, and you see your door open. That your instinct as a regular person would have kicked in, but your instinct should have went in overdrive as a police officer. So when we look at this a Caucasian woman who had five years of training as a police officer not responding in the manner in which one expects a police officer to, you can't remove her professional professional job with her personal life because part of that, part of her professional job makes her who she is personally when she moves about in everyday life. Absolutely. So, so I, I think that we have to see the bigger picture and that this man didn't pose a threat to her. He may have been a, a very large African-American man, but he was also a 26-year-old Pricewaterhouse Cooper accountant who was from St. Lucia, who left St. Lucia to take on a job here in, in uh, Dallas. So, 
you know, and then the, the other part, and I have to say this, the way the Dallas Police Department handled this investigation, they 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 petitioned a judge to to get a, a warrant to search his apartment to find drugs. Now he wasn't the subject of this investigation. Why would the Dallas Police Department smear his name by saying that they one found marijuana in a, in his house? We don't know that, but it also shows, and this is very important. Of when you're dealing with cases like this around the country, the police department has to be scrutinized in their investigation. When the police have to investigate themselves, there's always a problem. There's always a problem because they are a wall of they, they have this wall that they have up and they have to protect their fellow officers. So it's very important that we scrutinize any investigation, especially one that involves police officers, because they, when they investigate themselves, there's always going to be a problem. And what you said is nothing new because they did the same thing with Tamir Rice. They did the same thing with Sandra Bland. Trayvon Martin. Trayvon Martin. They always try to change the narrative and put the uh, blame on, on the, the vic- actual on, victim. On the victim. And that and that, and that was another thing today during um, the sentencing phrase or the penalty phrase of the trial. Um she had several character witnesses that came up and, and spoke on her behalf. And you could tell that it was scripted because everyone said that she was the kindest, most nice person and that she was not selfish with her time or helping other people. But they never gave an instance except one person. They found a lady that was 60-odd years old, and that was a former crack addict that said Amber raided a crack spot, found her in there, and said, you do not fit the profile of a crack addict. I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to give you a summons to go to court, and um, you're going to have to enter a drug program. And supposedly, to make a long story short, the lady did it, went to the drug program, invited Amber to her graduation. If this is the best that you can do, you know, to find a a crackhead to vouch for you, a black crackhead to vouch for you and your character, there was not... What happened to the police chief? What happened to someone from the police union or a fellow officer to vouch for her? It, 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 It was a train wreck. I think Today showed America and the world uh, how desperate they are to get the minimized sentence for this lady. And it just showed how callous and heartless they was because not one of her character witness or anyone apologized to the family. And the way they was crying and she was crying, you would have thought she was the victim. Uh, the fact of the matter is, the fact of the matter is, just based on your example, uh, she profiles people of color, just by your example. So, because she said that this particular woman didn't uh, fall into the profile, she's profiled. She probably prof- profiled Mr. John early on because he's a neighbor of hers. She knows who's a neighbor above and below. She knows this man is on top of her on top of her apartment. And she's probably heard music or 
a television coming out that apartment. I, I mean, we we don't know what the motivation was for her to kill him, but we know the jury felt that it was premeditated and it was with intent. And another thing, family, which I got to keep in mind is that when they have all these character witnesses coming up on, on the witness stand and they're vouching for a character and they're saying how much of a nice, sincere, and helpful person she was and she goes out her way for everybody um, and she's so loving, right? Well, she was loving the wrong man. She was loving on a married man. And what the prosecutor should have did was brought his wife or him to take the stand and testify. Because that's the only love that she was giving. She wasn't loving to the community, you know, uh, from her text. And then... Um, so the she was, so you're saying she was a homewrecker as well, as well as a dirty cop. As a dirty cop. Okay. And then not only this, um, see, this when, when situations like this happen, everything goes under scrutiny. So uh, essentially what happened, uh, people found out who the officer was that she was sleeping with, the married officer, and comes to find out, you know, the text that he was sending her had racial undertones in it, um, where she was saying, you know, uh, uh, he was saying something about black officers. So this well, goes no, to on, show Well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah. Look, those, those, those text messages that were deleted. So the officer that she was having an affair with was obstructing justice because he, he deleted... Evidence that could have showed a mindset of this person or who she Absolutely. was. Absolutely. So, and, and not only that, you know, and this is for all these black law enforcement officers, you know, um, I'm of the opinion that we need more black law enforcement officers. We need individuals that live in the community to patrol the community, community control of the police force. Um Black officers, this goes to show you that your white counterpart don't even respect you as an officer. Because some of the things that he was saying about black officers shows his mindset, not only that, that he was a racist police. So what is being said, and I don't know um, if it's true, so I'm going to say allegedly, this officer, which is, you know, her side fling. Also, or, the, uh, Rivera. Boyfriend Rivera uh, was involved in a shooting where he he himself killed an unarmed African American male um, that was very questionable, and I'm hearing that they're going to reopen that case. Mm. Did you hear about that? Uh, I I didn't, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me. Nothing that, surprises me. I mean, the fact that no officer has been convicted of a, a wrongful shooting since 1970 was that the, the yeah, 1970. So that will show you that this police department, the Dallas Police Department, you know, who who obviously has a history of uh, looking the other way. I mean, it, it's just it's sad. But hopefully, this will set a precedent across many jurisdictions where cops are really being held accountable. Uh, and and the fact of the matter is, you know, you when you get a cop. Convict, and she's probably gonna. And my, if my, if I, if I can say that, you know, this case is far from over, she's she's probably gonna get anywhere for 25, 30 years. I say twenty five years. Twenty five years. Um, but you know the the uh, statute calls for life. 
Five, what is it? Five to ninety nine. Five to ninety nine. So the sentence is where the uh, is that's where the real meat is. Yeah, and what you know, what the judge, and, what and, the jury decides. And you know, I just learned today, um, because I, I, you know, I'm from New York. I've been to several different trials. I watch trials, and it's usually the judge that hands down the sentencing. And I, and and, and I, you know, I kind of like this. Because, you know, you have judges that are um, sympathetic to law enforcement officers and prosecutors as well because they rely on law enforcement officers. Um, but here it is, the pool of, of jurors that rendered that verdict that is going to be the ones to say 50 years, 25 years. So this jury, they know the nature of this case. Because if they was going to give her leniency, they would have said manslaughter. But nope, they got her on murder. And, 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 and don't don't ignore the fact that it took them less than a day. It was day. about five hours. Right. Less, five yeah, hours. To find, you know, find, a, find her guilty. And it's very important people have to know that juries, the art of winning or losing the trials by picking a jury. So the vidare questioning of jurors, and that's the process in which you pick jurors, is very important. It's the key to the case because no matter who you have as your lawyer or who you have as your judge, but if you can win your jury over, then you won the case. That's how all cases is won. You know, I remember back in the 80s when Larry Davis was going on trial. You want you want to talk uh, about William Kunstler? Who, who Larry Davis is? Yeah, we can go into that. William Kunstler, who is to me one of the best and most dynamic lawyers. I was at that trial by that. Me. I covered um, that trial. Exists. Civil, rights, civil rights attorney, the late he, Bill he, the late Bill Kunstler, and also Lynn Stewart and, and Ron Kuby. And, and, and Ron, Ron Kuby, right? You know, um, they really the main ingredients of that was picking a jury of his peers, one that resided in the Bronx, one that came from the same economic background and held the same morals of those that reside in that community. But before we go in, and into Ryan, that, I want right? to say this. I want to shout out Erica Ford because she and I covered that trial in New York many years ago. Yeah, shout out to Erica Ford. A um, lot of respect for her. Um, but before we go into anything else, I, I, I want to say this, right? And we're going to take a, com a quick commercial break because I see we're reaching up to the 30 two minutes, and then we'll come back and discuss some more, right? What I want to tell you, family, is no matter what, don't always celebrate everything as a victory. You know, I've I seen people, man, doing high fives and, 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 you know, cartwheels and stands because of the guilty verdict. The, the fact that the people have to have to do that it's sad. In 2019, it's sad. It's, it's sad. And but I understand. I know. I, I, I understand. understand as well. But we got to get out of that because justice only justice denied. Yeah, and you only let yourself down when the the like right in this case the punishment phase come up and it's not a just verdict as far as the punishment phase. Because remember, five to ninety nine years. So if she get five years. You know, y'all celebrated for nothing yesterday. But what I want to say before we go to the commercial break is the presumption of innocent is color-coded. Mm. They gave this lady 
the presumption of innocent because she was white. She was allowed to be released on bail. Um, it showed that she had no remorse when she was on bail. She wasn't remorseful until she had to take the stand. But there is a black cop uh, of, uh, well, a former police officer. He's in jail now. But um, he was from, I want to say, Sudan or Ethiopia in, in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. you, you know the officer yeah, I'm yeah, talking a, about? Yeah, Muslim cop. Yeah, a Muslim cop. And he was sitting in he his patrol years. car. And um, I, I think he was answering a call to a domestic violence or a rape or something like that. And um, the lady came out and hit the back of his car, smacked the back of his car. And he got startled. He pulled out the gun. And he shot her. Mm -hmm. And um, in that case, there was no public outcry from the police union, uh, as such as in Dallas, the police was trying to defend this. But notice, as more facts came out, as the situation grew to being days from the actual trial date, you haven't seen the police say anything. Right. Did you notice that? Right. Yeah, I, I think that blue wall of silence is is finally coming down. Um, it's going to be well, years and, before. Well, in, in this in this case, you know, we have to look at not just this case as a win. We have to see what happens in the next six to twelve months, the next year, two years. You know, this is just one victory. Yeah, you know, absolutely. This is, this is you know, this is not a sprint. You know. It's a marathon. Right. So, so with that, we're going to take another quick commercial break. And for those that are joining us, this is Necessary Blackness Podcast. I am your host, Raheem Shabazz, and I'm sitting here with investigative journalist and hip-hop journalist, Dennis Byron. Make sure that y'all check Necessary Blackness out on Facebook. You can check us out on Instagram. You can check us out on iTunes, you can check us out on Google Play, and you can follow me personally at, at Raheem Shabazz. Where can they follow you at on social media? On Instagram, you can follow me at Mr. at Mr. Dennis Byron. On Twitter, at Mr. Dennis Byron, and on Facebook, Mr. Dennis Byron. Also, you can visit hiphopinquire.com. Or I don't know if I told you this, but we you know we launched our media company, which is ByronMediaGroup.com. So go check, you know, check that. That's a more related to uh, representing other people in the industry. All right. And we're going to get to that, you know, in, uh, before we close, because I, I know you got a lot of things going on. And um, I want to know about uh, upcoming projects and uh, what the world and, and the people can expect from Dennis Byron. So, all right, family. We're going to go to a quick commercial break. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. Check out MCJ, musicculturejournalism.com. Hip-hop is a global movement reaching all aspects of music, culture, and journalism. MCJ is the premier destination for culture-driven video and editorial content around the country. Check out musicculturejournalism.com. Log on today. Wingy Apparel is the latest fly and revolutionary streetwear to hit the market. Wingy is the outfitters of freedom fighters everywhere. Wingy is a Swahili word that means abundance. No one has ever gone broke by giving. So if you have it in abundance, sharing is better than receiving. Follow us on Instagram at Wingy Apparel. 
That's at W-I-N-G-I-A-P-P-A-R-E-L. Peace and Black Power family. This is your host, Raheem Shabazz, and we are here for another episode of Necessary Blackness Podcast, and we just came back from our commercial break. And for those that are just joining us, yes, we have the investigative journalist, the hip-hop scholar, Dennis Byron in the building, and we've been talking about this trial. We've been talking about the good part, the bad part, the penalty phrase of the child, uh, of the trial, and the ultimate outcome that I anticipate is going to happen and um, what the world is waiting for. But it ain't about me. That's why I got the investigative journalist here, Dennis Byron. So what I want to ask you, right? there's a viral video that's going around. Mm -hmm. And in this viral video, you see a black sheriff officer who is stroking the hair of a convicted felon in the courtroom. And this is not while she's on trial. The trial already concluded. She'd been convicted of murder. When you seen that video, what was your thoughts? Well, first and foremost, I think it was inappropriate that uh, a sheriff of the court would be stroking the hair of a convicted murderer while the family likely was in the courtroom. It was very disrespectful. And if the jury was in the courtroom, it would be grounds for a mistrial because you basically showed deference to the person who was charged with killing this individual, Mr. Baltham John. So I, I think that it was highly inappropriate. I think that whoever that officer's superior is should um, really take it to task for that. I think-, I think that might happen because that, that video was going viral on social media. Now, I want to ask you a question. You said that it's grounds for a mistrial, but it wouldn't be a grounds for a mistrial on her behalf because, if anything, it shows her in a more human light. If she had not been convicted, it would have been grounds for a mistrial. Right. I'm saying... Let me, let me say this. I said if she... If this... This whole episode occurred in the watchful eyes of the jurors, it would be a ground. It would be grounds for a mistrial, and mistrials can be called by either the defense or the prosecution based on something that is irregular in the courtroom. Mm. Now, even if it, even if it's help her to show her in a more humane light, that's not the job of a, a, the sheriff. They're supposed to provide security. Where's the stroking this person's hair? Do you see him stroking defendants' hair in uh, Never. Ma- many other cases? Never. I, I just think that because she was a police officer, uh, she was given preferential treatment. Oh, absolutely. She wasn't handcuffed. Or, or was it a policy that she can not move her hands and hands supposed to remain, remain in front? I don't know what the policy was, but I think it was just inappropriate. I, the fact that the reporters or the cameraman caught that, it said a lot. Yeah, but um, the reason why certain defendants is not handcuffed, um, because they don't want the jury to see that. So that's why a lot of times you see them dressed up in suits and stuff like that. So you don't see them as a convicted felon before they're already convicted. But speaking of jury, um, I want you to tell me about jury ses. You know, I messed this word up. Sesquistation. The yes. jur- meaning the jurors in this particular case were sequestered. Meaning yeah, sequestered. Meaning they had 
been placed in a hotel until the conclusion of the trial, as well as not just a trial, but also the sentencing phase, because this case had a lot of uh, media coverage and it wasn't a change of venue. So the judge saw fit to, you know, keep the jurors away from uh, televisions, radios, and any other reporting, because this is a high profile case. And it was good that this case, this, this, these jurors were sequestered because any, any little thing that would have leaked out to the jury would have been uh, very dangerous for this case. Like that viral video. Absolutely. If they would have seen that. Absolutely. You know. Absolutely. um, Another thing that a lot of people are talking about is the latitude that is given between five and 99 years. You know, I I I know there was well, it's, several. It's, it's five to life. Yeah, five to life. Ninety nine years is life, death. You, you can forget about it if you get ninety nine years. But my 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 thing and my question is this, right? For manslaughter, you know, usually that starts at five years. But once you convicted of murder, the threshold is much higher, right? Shouldn't it have been more time? And what do you think? is going to be the verdict coming back as far as years for uh, this defendant. Well, f- first of all, she's not eligible for probation. Oh, absolutely. She, she, she's, you just got to look at what the, the, the threshold for manslaughter is. Mm-hmm. Up to 30 years. This judge is going to take a bunch of stuff in consideration. This is a murder. Case. The judge or, or the jury? It's the jury that's going well, to do it. The, the, the jury. Yeah. The jury. The and jury is now the judge anyway. Well, <laughs> in this case, it's the jury. Yeah. So they're going to consider a, a bunch of factors. They're going to pres- consider her, her, you know, her criminal past. They could consider what she the did. The crackhead that she helped. Right. Well, you know, what she did prior to this this crime, what, she's, what she did after the crime. And basically, her testimony. They're gonna and, and and also not just that. They're also gonna listen to the the impact statements that all the family members of both sides presented. For example, Karen Geiger, who is the the mother of uh, of Amber Geiger, testified today that her her daughter was molested at the age of six by mm-hmm. her by her boyfriend. Now, how much weight that has with this jury, I don't know. What factors would that uh, what that make in considering what she did to this man who she didn't know, who did nothing to her. So I don't know why that was even introduced. Uh, what was she unstable when she got the job as a police officer? What you know? What role that statement will play in this jury's mind? You know, in this deliberation phase of the sentencing phase, I don't know. But at the end of the day, I mean, if it was you or I that you know killed <laughs> someone. I mean, all this, it. yeah, it it will be a different, you know, different situation. Yeah, and if you want to really look at it like this, right? The raping of anybody—I don't want to minimize that if she was raped, but women are raped every thirty seconds in America, and for someone to get raped is a justification for them to go out and kill another innocent man. We will all be dead right now. I'm just trying to figure out what, why they brought it up, right? Right. She was a, she was on a job as a police officer for five years. Was she 
using this 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 tragic situation that happened to her in the past dealing with other people of color or people in general. So I, I don't know if that, that's going to bode well with the jury. But I, would I don't say, think it will. I, what I'll say is the impact statement of his sister and his mother was very powerful. Now, and, and, and let me let me say yeah. this. And just knowing, understand the makeup of that jury, which comp- was comprised of more women than men, mm-hmm. uh, a cross section of the community, they're going to look at. You got to speak in the mind. They're going to look at the, the this man's life and how he lived it. It's not. Let's not ignore the fact that he was also a, a active member in his church. He sung in his church. So there's a lot of things that they're going to consider today. We're probably going to know the outcome of the sentencing. Absolutely. And before the sentencing, we had the conviction. Now, I've been looking all over, and I'm unsure. Maybe you can tell me. After she was convicted, was she remanded back to the jail? Well, well, was, back to well, was she remanded to jail since she was out on bail? Well, I don't know the answer to that question, but it would it would make sense that once you know, like she's on bail right now. When before she was convicted, she's on bail. Yeah. Now the the uh, circumstances changed once she convicted. That bill that she received was of someone who wasn't convicted. She had the presumption of innocence. Of innocence. So it would make sense for any jurist, which is a judge, to remand her based on what she's facing, life. I mean, in any other case, you know, of a conviction of murder, you're getting remanded. And not only that, a lot of times, and, and this is crazy, Texas do not be playing. A lot of times, once you convicted, right, um, your sentencing might be a month, two months, and then you have to come back in for sentencing. Yo, her sentencing to find out the penalty of it is the next day. Well, you know that in certain states, I want to say maybe California too, but that they move, they move relatively quickly right after this conviction. You know, so it, it happens. Crazy. I don't think. I, I don't. I don't think it's. I mean, they probably did. She got 10 years. Someone's saying she got 10 years. We are going to go. Wait a minute. And um, look at this. Wait, but, uh, this 10 years. Through. Wait a minute. Rhonda Terry said Amber Geiger received 10 years. This cannot be the case. But we're going to check this out. Can we just. Nah, if, if, they, if they gave this lady 10 years. This this is this is this is uh, uh, a travesty. Now now this is the thing, right? Well, well, we go, hold on. We go, this is this is breaking. This no, is... this is breaking. But this is why I wanted to ask you, right? Because I don't know this, right? Maybe I heard wrong. Okay. Wait wait wait, Rhonda. She said, "Man, yeah, you can't. We we live on the air. You can't you can't be doing wrong." Rhonda, don't do that. Please it's... check your facts. We are live on the air. We don't do that. Yeah, okay. and and I can't see the news right now. So find out and let us know. But this right. is what I wanted to ask you though, right? <laughs> because I, I I was doing my research on it, and it said that uh uh they have to have uh, um. All, 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 all of the jury members, unanimous, unanimous, has to agree on a number. Right. So if I say twenty five and you say thirty, then it's not, it's not, it's not, it's right. not happening. So, so do you know what happens at that case? In that, in that instance, it, it then it, the judge, it goes right? to the judge. It goes to the judge. So, 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 but the judge will look at the judge will probably factor in how many voted for thirty years versus how many voted for twenty years, and if the if the majority voted for a higher sentence, the judge is probably going to lead towards the, the higher sentence. sentence. And that only makes sense, and that's fair. Now, I know y'all, the jury I'm speaking to, 
did not convict this lady of murder to give her 10 years, you could have gave that on a manslaughter. But let's let's not let's not get ahead of ourselves. Yeah, because we don't know if Terry's telling the truth out here. Yeah, yeah, Terry uh, don't even know. She's like, I might have heard it. You, wrong. Heard, you Terry, you running you 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 you're, you're gossiping on uh, this very yeah, exclusive. We uh, need yo, listen. We, we need, need facts. facts. We need facts. We, we can't have no fake news on here. Right, right. But listen, while we wait for the verdict, we're gonna have to go offline to find out what it is. I don't even want to go online to find out right, right now. Right. That's what <laughs> I want to ask you. I know you do a lot of things in the community. Um, you got some projects coming up. Absolutely. Talk to us, man. Well, um, w- you know, I relaunched. Uh, Speaking to the microphone. Yeah, I relaunched uh, you know, our media company, BuyerMediaGroup.com, uh, as well as uh, I've been working on two movies uh, along, Mr. You know, with my my player partner, Mr. Manny Holly, Truder uh, Game Two, and Dutch, and we've been uh, filming for the last month. Okay. Uh, and uh, you know it's some, the the who's who in this movie is really great, and I represent the uh, lead actress in the movie that that's uh, Erica Peoples. Uh, and I, I if you watch Shooter Game One on Netflix, you can see she does an awesome job. And the, yeah, as well a good as movie. as well as the the cast, you know we have Jeremy Meeks, we have Waka Flocka, we have Rotimi from Power, we have Vivica oh, Fox. I didn't know Rotimi was in there. Yeah, we have Vivica Fox. We have. We have Juju for loving hip hop. Mm-hmm. We have uh, Bernice Burgo. So we have, you know, we have an uh, all star cast. Got Bernice in there? We have an all star cast. Ah. Right? When I tell you this movie is going to be three times hotter than the, you know, the next one. And we have a really great director. It's being directed by Jamel Hill, who uh, also directed um, Brotherly Love. And his, his, uh, his work is awesome, and I enjoy working with these all these p- individuals. Uh, and all I, right. Besides the movie, what else you got? Oh, uh, well, you know, the, the, just you know, several. My, I got my hands in different things. I, you know, some of the things I could talk about. On, yeah, some uh, of them you can't. Right, I can't talk about right now. But uh, I mean, just uh, helping guide in the career of some of some of the biggest names, and and you know, in this business, and you know, being part of their PR team is you know. Real powerful. Now, you know when people hear you say that, right? Helping to guide the careers of some of the biggest people in the industry. They're going to want to know how they can get at you, man. Give them your social media, man. Uh, you can reach me on uh, Instagram at Mr. Dennis Bryant. microphone. Hey, the mic is in my mouth, buddy. No, okay, okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But uh, you can reach me on my personal Instagram at Mr. Dennis Byron. Or you can shoot an email at uh, info at Byron Media Group. Or... Or you can hit me, you know, direct message. Uh, I do look at most of my direct messages if I'm traveling or whatever the case is. That, that's not possible. Yeah, people don't want to hear that, man. You said that you are helping people that got the biggest careers. They want the phone number, man. Give them the phone number, Dennis. Now they stop. Oh, man. Hey, yo, you know, I keep looking over there because I'm waiting for her to tell me that she said, okay, I will check my facts. That was five minutes ago. We need you to come back Listen, with the facts. Listen, in, in the man. age of Google, you can pull up the current news on hey. Amber Geiger, and I yeah. didn't hear that. In but, my, but you know, I, but you know what's crazy though? What? See how we sitting here and we talking, and you know, we getting news in real time. Absolutely, most people would have ran with that, talked about it on the podcast, whether they had substantial facts, whether it was new, whether it, it, it was accurate or not. We ain't doing that. We no, don't we, know what we happened. we have to fact check. We cannot assume that 
this is the case. And, uh, you know, I think I would have got alerts already. And I didn't get any alerts to, to, to that effect. And I think if that was the case, she got only 10 years, there's going to be an outcry in the community. Absolutely. Now, in closing, is there anything that I didn't ask you that I should have asked you or anything you want to say in your last closing words? Well, uh, well, I just want to say that I commend you for what you do. You know, you are obviously a very conscious brother who have, has utilized this platform to bring awareness to issues that are not being talked about. And I also want to talk about the fact that you were a very, very important person as it related to this awesome documentary, Elementary Genocide. Thank you. I appreciate One, two, that. and three, correct? One, two, One, two and three. And uh, people have to understand that if you don't know your history, you are subject to it. That's right. That's right. So in closing, I want to say peace and love, family. I appreciate each and every one of y'all for tuning in each and every week right here on Necessary Blackness Podcast. Now, remember, family, we on iTunes, we on Google Play, we on Spreaker, we on Spotify. Make sure you check us out. And we are on YouTube. And you can find me on the gram at Raheem Shabazz. Facebook at Raheem Shabazz. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, damn. And oh, Twitter at Raheem Shabazz. I know I was forgetting. Are you on MySpace too? Of, nah, we ain't <laughs> doing the MySpace. I had Snapchat for a little while, but I couldn't do it, man. Well, I, I, I have Snapchat. I don't really use ah, it. Ah, man. My son tried to get me into that. I was like, come on. You got to be playing, man. This is this is Romper Room right here. What we doing? <laughs> yeah, I you do want to, uh, at some point, I want to come, you know, I want to come back on and talk about the, oh, yeah, the, the absolutely, political, the political man. landscape. I, absolutely. This impeachment is really, really big. big uh, Matter of fact, I might need you to come back for that. Um, And, you know, Dennis is a very... Busy guy. I think this is the 93rd episode. I knew Dennis for years, over 10 years. Um, and this is, you, you finally making it here after 93 episodes. Well, you know, I, I want to also mention the fact that... Um, you needed an invite? I needed the invite, but I want to talk about on, the, the, the award you got in 2010. We oh, recognized yeah. your work. Absolutely. And that's over nine years ago. And nah, I knew yeah. you years before. Yeah, that yeah. So, so that so it's over ten years. Yeah, that's over brother. ten years. Yeah, over ten years. Over ten years. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the Jaeger Award. The Jaeger Awards, and you you were one of you were uh, one of five people we considered, and it was. Really- you know what? I don't even want to. You know, and I'm not saying this to be um, vain or nothing like that, because I won sixteen awards. Let's get that straight. Put awards. that out. Let's put that on the record. Right. 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 Out of those 16 awards, 10 of them created enemies. When I won the Power Award, the Black Power Award, they was mad at me, man. People that were supposed to be my peers and we were cool with mm-hmm. me was mad that I won the award. When I won the Yego Award, you oh, don't remember that? People were tight. They was tight. I, I they was it. like, yo, I never heard of them. Who's this? I'm like, yo, your do Google research. don't work? You got to do your research. I even Google. You got to... You know, and that, and that, we got to be careful there. Someone said to me, uh, someone said to me two weeks, they, I, I can't Google you. They don't know what work you put in. But before there was Google, there were print publications, but you know, they're radio. Oh, yeah. They're jurors. Jir- so everyone is not, you know, you can, you should be able to Google people now in 2019, <coughs> but you, 
you know, a lot of work is put in. You know, you have someone like uh, I just I was talking to Hiram Hicks. Who was, oh yeah, Hiram Hicks. Come on. Right, like I was just talking to him a couple of days ago, and you know, like you can't Google a lot of stuff from him, but he was the vice, the president of uh, Island Def Jam. Yeah, he's a veteran, man. A veteran in the, the industry, game, you know. In the industry. But, but you know what I got that Google don't got? I got over six hundred articles with my byline in it. And yeah, yeah, you got a lot. I've written for every urban-driven publication that existed at the time that I was writing. I was freelancing for about 10 of them. Mm -hmm. And if I didn't write for you, that's because you wasn't paying your writers or you wasn't paying enough money. Right. Those was the good old days. Right. Yeah. From the Vibe, Source. XXL, you name it. Yeah, I did. I I have photos of XXL. I didn't write for XXL, but uh, you can see my work on TMZ, The Blast, uh, Shade Room, Jasmine Bryant, you know, Global Grind, uh, Nicole. What was it? Nicole, Nicole Bitchy. Nicole Bitchy. I, I mean, the the you know, it's just so many of them. You know, like yeah. U.S. African Eye was the editor for U.S. African Eye magazine. Um, so again, you just have to do your research. And understand the work people put in this business. I'm and glad I got a surround sound mic, right? Look, 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 with no, your head was right there, and the mic is on the other yeah, side. Yeah, I, you know, Dennis yeah. be trying to be too cool up in here, but we got surround sound. This is a professional microphone. Oh, absolutely, so, yeah. So, testing so one, two, testing. So, family, we out of here, man. I, I appreciate y'all. Make sure y'all um, check us out, man, every week. And also, before you, you know, end up out of here. Yo, you see, we got the Wingy shirt. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Make sure. Oh, yeah. Okay, Wingy. Yeah, yeah, y'all go to Wingy Apparel. Well, hold on, hold on. We got on that. IG. I, I, was, also, I was gifted with a Necessary Blackness shirt. We got shirt. the Necessary Blackness shirt right, on. Right. Anybody that want to. Do you talk, typically gift your your, your uh, guests with the. Nah, uh, nah, nah. Everybody, well, everybody don't get that. Okay, I appreciate everybody it. Don't ladies get and gentlemen. That. But everybody can get it. How? If they go to Necessary Blackness Podcast at Gmail and. Um, Order your shirt. Tell us what's your size. We'll drop that link to you. Hit me. DM me. We'll get a shirt to you now. Absolutely. And remember, hoodie season, right around the corner. We got the wingy hoodies. We're going to have the Necessary Blackness podcast hoodies. We got everything. Everything on deck. Yeah. All right. Peace and black power. We out of here, family. See you next time. Next week. Same time. Same place. Same, same bat channel.